0: 100,000 watts of power, but it's up to you to put them to work. This is the John Adams Radio Show. Bringing you truth, justice, and the American way of making money. I'm John Adams. Seated firmly in the free enterprise chair, speaking directly into the golden EMR microphone, this is Excellence in Money Radio. Coming to you live from an undisclosed location in a bunker somewhere in the southeastern United States, perhaps Southern Command headquarters on beautiful St. Simons Island, the crown jewel of Georgia's coastal empire. Thence broadcast 23,300 miles directly into outer space. This week affiliates, SATCOM 5. Vince rebroadcast all across the fruited plain to our vast EMR network. 331 stations plus the island of Guam. That's just the way it is. I am thrilled to have you with us for this special edition of the John Adams Radio Show. Let not your hearts be troubled. We will solve your real estate problems today. And as uh, we enter week number two of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we still don't have energy independence. I'm not exactly sure why that's the case, but apparently that is the case. And if it were up to me, I would say, let's drill. Let's drill off the coast of Georgia. Let's drill off St. Simon's Island. I own some waterfront property there. I might very well be a wealthy man from the oil revenues and not even know it. Oh, mercy. We have got so much to cover today. Earlier this week, um, I presented to a small group of specially selected individuals, a presentation on the biggest changes I've seen in landlord-tenant practice in Georgia since COVID started. And it was very well-received. And we're going to look at that today and share it with you. You'll want to get a pencil and paper and take some notes. However, the replay will be available. And I'd love for you to see it. So uh, before we jump right in, let's go ahead and here's our quote of the week is from Mr. Silver, Robert Kiyosaki. I am stunned that he is prostituting himself into selling silver, but more power to him. Back when his brain was still intact, he said, real estate investing, even on a very small scale, remains a tried and true means of building an individual's cash flow and wealth and he was right and uh, but don't go out and buy silver just as he says so special thank you to our sponsors exp realty if you are looking for or even thinking about a career change or if you are a licensee of any real estate commission in any state or any province in canada or Puerto Rico, or the island of Guam, please go to partnerwithjohnadams.com. I have placed my license with eXp Realty, and I'd like to share with you their interesting story. Uh, We are going on a cruise. For those of you that got to the program early today, about 20 minutes before 11, we started off with uh, Kokomo. And the part I like in that song is everybody knows a little place like Kokomo. Uh, And we're going there January 28th of next year. And we're going to be talking about real estate and marketing and the internet and everything in between. And you can learn more at expocruise.com. Those of you that have already requested information, I promise I'm going to send you a video this week to tell you what to do next, because now is the time. And yes, we'll be on the carnival freedom, and yes, you need to make a deposit right now because the ship is filling up. And when the ship is full, you won't be able to make a deposit. But if you make a deposit now, it's fully refundable through September 1st, which is a long time off. So you can call up on my birthday, August 25th and say, John, can't go. Sorry. And get your complete deposit back. No questions asked. Okay. All right. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. 70% of our time will be fun in the sun. We'll be looking at Amber Cove and San Juan, Puerto Rico, St. Thomas in the US Virgin Islands and St. Martin, which is the other half of St. Martin, which one side is controlled by the Dutch. That's where we're going into Phillipsburg. But I don't know who owns the other side. I've got to figure that out. It's probably like Norway or somebody. Anyway, it's it's a lot of fun and we're just going to have a blast. We're going to Amber Cove also out of Miami. Uh, this thing is so cheap that this will save you money from staying at home you'll spend less money on an eight-night cruise with me and Margie than you will if you just stayed home. So uh, sign up today or at least go to this email address and figure it out. I also want to thank Peter Burke, our sponsor, our gold sponsor, at Reliant Mortgage Solutions. We'll be hearing from Peter around the bottom of the hour. And uh, here is a picture of me. I'll be on Fox 5 this Tuesday morning, talking about squatters. Tuesday morning, 8.30 a.m. If you want to see me on Fox 5, I would love to see you there. Also, we have a Facebook Live chat after that on the Fox 5 Atlanta Facebook page, which is a lot of fun. And I'd love to have you join me for that as well. We don't have to talk about squatters, but um, so who am I and why should you listen to me? Really, the only reason I can think of is that I am an Eagle Scout and that makes me trustworthy. Uh, and please turn off your cell phone. Put your questions in Q&A and we will try to get to them. This is a jam-packed show today, but uh, we'll try to um, get to your questions. Um, And we do have, there will be a recording available at realestatecoffeebreak.com, which hopefully will also be syndicated. And then we'll use Q&A for your questions. Remember, the truth about real estate is that landlords grow rich in their sleep. That's why I enjoy sleeping so much. It's worked well for me. Your number one goal is to stay occupied and collect your rent or file a dispossessory. We'll teach you how to do it. Number two, boost your income, lower your expenses at all levels. I'll teach you how to do it. And number three, borrow as much as you can for as long as you can. And that's why I keep Peter Burke around because he'll help you do it. And I believe to this day, you can retire comfortably on as few as 10 rental units, perhaps less. So remember that the most important investment you can make is in yourself, right between your ears, the most powerful computer that's ever been built. Um, It's talent on loan from God. And you need to be asking yourself right now, what is my annual education budget? Have I invested in myself this year? And if not, how can I do so? Uh, this was last week, and we'll be talking about this today. So uh, we're not going to do the statute of frauds, but we are going to, at this point, shift out of this and go directly into this. Huh. I'm going to copy this, watch this, boys and girls, I'm going to go, I can't do this because I'm in these slides, or am I? I don't know. Why don't we do this? Why don't we just see if we can play this on YouTube? Margie, do you think that'll work? All right, we're going to try it. We're going to go to YouTube. And we're going to put in right here that we are searching for, go to your videos, all right? He doesn't think I have any. Ah, here we go. Let's dive right in. All right, so let's see how this looks on the broadcast. I'm going to play it right now. These are some bigger changes I've noticed since COVID started, which was what, Uh, two years ago at the end of February, two years ago right now, uh, Margie and I were getting back from a cruise that we took to the uh, Western Caribbean, and um, nobody asked us about COVID when we got on the ship. That was the last week in January. There had been some people talking about it, but nobody thought it was going to be serious. When we got back eight days later, I mean, COVID, it was during that eight-day period, so it's been about two years now, and here are some things that I think you need to be thinking about and I need to be thinking about, but it's not that, ah. okay, here we go. So the first one has to do with, and by the way, I said top 10 changes. Uh, As I got into this, I couldn't limit it to 10. (laughs) Sorry. So, we have 13 of our top 10 changes, but we're going to fly through this anyway. The first has to do with fair housing and the Americans with Disabilities Act, and I simply want you to understand. I think all of us, at least I hope all of us support fair housing, and we certainly want those who are disabled to have every opportunity to enjoy their life. Um, Part of the problem is that it's a little bit of a moving target. In fact, it's a lot of a moving target. Um, What has happened is the federal courts, which you and I really don't have any input on, Um, They make these decisions, and somebody makes a decision from the um, 9th District, which is in California. Well, does that apply to the 11th District, which is in Georgia or not, and nobody knows, and so it really puts things up in the air. So, um, I simply start with number 13 because I want to bring to your attention that Fair Housing Protections continue to be expanded by federal courts and that these changes apply to you and me. Now here's a perfect example. Um, And by the way, this coming Saturday, I'm going to have a Fair Housing Cheat Sheet available for you. Uh, Just a a one-page summary, I guess, that will give you some guidance and direction as you're thinking about these things. But one example is recently, a federal court said that drug addictions are now considered a disability under fair housing laws, okay? And this shows the confusion between fair housing over here and ADA over here because they do sort of interconnect, and you and I as landlords are expected to stay on top of all this, which is a big job. So, uh, right now, you are not able to refuse to rent to a tenant who comes to you and otherwise qualifies but says, by the way, I am a heroin addict and I do not intend to change, which is sort of amazing to me but that's what the current interpretation is. Now, that may change but this just shows you. Additionally, we have seen in the last year changes under ADA and fair housing regarding service dogs, which we used to call service animals, but now HUD has said, we've decided all service animals have to be dogs. So um, that's helpful because there was a question before, could you have a service crocodile? and i you know the answer was unclear now we know that under ada a service dog is a dog which has had specific training to assist a disabled person with their day-to-day lifestyle that's different from an emotional support animal or emotional comfort animal which are also allowed but under different circumstances and we're supposed to know the difference we're supposed to be able to intelligently interact with an applicant who says i have an emotional comfort crocodile by the way and you can't charge any additional rent for the crocodile um and i have to allow the crocodile in the house or so i i don't know um obviously i'm sort of making fun here of crocodiles but You know, technically, there's no reason you couldn't have an emotional comfort crocodile. So, this is something really we need to explore because the penalties are severe and we don't want to get in trouble and the the applicant or the tenant doesn't have to pay to prosecute you or me. All they have to do is call. Uh, federal fair housing office and say, I think John Adams has discriminated against me based on my disability or based on the fact that I have an emotional comfort crocodile. And then government employees paid by your tax dollars come out and interview you to see if you, if they're going to prosecute you on behalf of the United States, which is a little, that's a little bit unfair because the truth is, you and i are not equipped to defend ourselves in a federal court even in an administrative justice court uh, or administrative law judge who would what we probably would appear before so anyway i just bring that to your attention number 13. let's move to number 12 which is paperless applications and leases this is a biggie you might want to jot some of these things down i believe that in an increasingly technical environment, in an increasingly digital environment, it will behoove you and me to require all applications, all leases, all documents, and all messages and notices be made through a online portal that the tenant has free access to. Now, why? Why can't they just call you and leave a message, hey, my faucet is leaking. It's not bad, but I need some help with it or my toilet's running and I can't stop it. Well, the question is, when did they notify you? Was it when they left the message? What if they thought they left a message and didn't? What if they sent you an email, but you never got it? And where is a judge going to be on all this we've talked about this before in magistrates court which is where the majority of our landlord tenant issues are going to be settled the magistrate judge is looking for one who's the most organized here and has proof that what they say is true and if you can walk into that courtroom and say your honor here is our lease, the lease, clear lease. And by the way, you can see that it's signed by the defendant. Um, it says that all notices have to go through our portal. Here is um, where they're instructed on how to use the portal. There's no charge for them, and they made application through the portal. They signed the lease through the portal, and we've communicated through the portal. But they didn't use the portal this time to notify us of the toilet running. So that is now no longer a valid reason why they haven't paid their rent. Cuz I can tell you when the tenant wants to stop paying their rent, they're going to find a reason and the reason is you didn't fix something. Now they may just have made it up, I don't know. But if they sent a a repair request or even a notice of uh, running toilet through the portal that is preserved forever inside that portal and it belongs to you and that sets up a paper trail that will stand up in court now i bring to your attention not because i think they're any better than any other but these are i know they're out there and this is just a starting place for you guys go to avail.co Not com, but avail.co, I'll put the cursor over here so you can see that Uh, avail.co. We talked about this on the coffee break. This is a independent company that was recently purchased by Realtor.com in an attempt to catch up with Zillow's rental business. And Zillow has done extremely well financially. They've lost money on some things, but they make money on others. And um, this is realtor.com purchasing a competitor to Zillow, and I think they are now funding them, giving them the resources and the money they need to really offer you and me some good tools. Uh, I've tried avail.co. It's not what I would call intuitive, but nonetheless, it works. And I suspect it's going to be getting better all along. Now, I don't think avail.co offers free digital signatures that are legally binding. However, pandadoc.com does, and there's no limit on these. Um, Pandadoc, now don't go to pandadocs.com because that's a different company you want to go to panda doc doc.com and they offer an unlimited number of free legally binding electronic signatures and you can combine that with the digital tenant portal at avail.co and have a complete paper trail see what i'm saying the beauty here is you can never lose a lease you can also set it up so that if the tenant wants a copy of the lease that they signed, you can put it in their space where they can go get it 24 hours a day. Additionally, let's say you have, um, let's say you own a small apartment building that has six apartments in it or eight apartments in it. You can actually send out a notice with the push of one button to all the people in that, any or all or some of the people in that list of your tenants. And the beauty there is if you know it's going to freeze tonight and you want them to leave the faucet stripping so you don't have busted pipes, bingo, you can send out a very quick notice that pops up in their inbox from the portal. They know they have to log in to get that document and now you have proof that they received it prior to the freeze. Okay. See how this is just, I know this is sounding like, well, sure, I do all this anyway. Well, I just want you to think about formalizing it because a lot of times you and I tend to sort of fly by the seat of our pants. Now there's nothing wrong with that, but in an increasingly, um, um litigious increasingly digital and increasingly um consumer pro environment thanks to our buddy clark howard um the assumption is that you and i are evil and that we're taking advantage of people we can prove that we aren't but the burden is on us okay that's number 12.
1: it's also increasingly regulated
0: increasingly what
1: regulated
0: regulated you are exactly right let's go to number 11 and this is new last year now many states have a domestic violence um, exception to their landlord tenant law georgia did not until recently and it's not up to me to comment on whether it's right or wrong it's just for me i mean obviously domestic violence is wrong obviously abuse is wrong Wh- whoever wherever it's occurring it shouldn't i mean this is not right but I think there is a disturbing trend among legislatures and Congress to say, well, let's just stick it to the landlord because they got plenty of money and they can afford it. That was the basis of the CDC agency order that deprived you of your rights to collect rent. You were literally separated from your property rights. It didn't seem to bother anyone except the Supreme Court and moi that's French for me for those of you from Snellville okay so here's the change in the law it is what it is for victims of domestic violence and stalking Georgia law now allows the tenant to terminate any lease before it otherwise would expire if the tenant is a victim of family violence or stalking and has obtained a civil or criminal family violence protection order or stalking order now it's not quite that simple there are some conditions one is that in most cases it will be a civil not a criminal protection order because the civil protection orders and stalking orders are much easier to get and that then has to be coupled with a police report and i know i'm getting a little technical here i just want you to understand when this happens you still have 30 days when it says they can end the lease they still have to under this law if they attempt to end the lease prior to its normal expiration they must give you a minimum of 30 days from the date of written notice which must include a police order i'm sorry a police report if it is a civil protection order, and that's really more than I know about it. I'm, I certainly don't pretend to be an expert here. I just want you to be aware that if a tenant uh, notifies you that they are the they have a a, a protection order or a stocking order, you at that point probably need to contact an attorney and find out you know, what your rights are, but at least you have 30 days, which I I appreciate that the legislature put that in. Now, some of these you may have heard before, but I still think they're important. And they have each of these has been expanded in the last 24 months. And the first is that under my lease, the killer lease, which you should be using, I'm going to pause this. I'm going to. You can,
2: you're stopping the show.
0: I'm stopping the show. <laughs> all right, everyone, stick with me because we have a special guest. We're going it
1: to... It's up to you.
0: Just tell me how to do it.
2: Go to attendees.
0: Go to attendees. Okay. And... Go
2: to attendees. Okay. Uh, search for... There we go. Go to more. Okay. Okay. And promote panelists.
0: Peter Burke is going to join us now as soon as i promote him to panelist and i think i've promoted him to panelist which means i'm going to get out of this the death of a soul 10. we're trying some new peter we're trying some new technical things this week Um, but i think it's very interesting and um, first welcome to the program how are you sir
2: Good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday to everyone out there.
0: Thank you. Peter, would you lean right into the microphone so we can hear your basso profundo?
2: Can you hear me? Yes. Excellent.
0: I'm going to buy you this week a new microphone because you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you.
2: Well, I get the golden microphone.
0: Well, I, no, I can't give you a go. I'll, I'll give you a, uh, um, a, a silver micro. We would never do to for you to have a microphone better than mine while I'm sitting in the free enterprise chair. I understand. So,
2: all
0: right, here we go. And now I want to share my screen. Wait a minute. I've already... I'm already sharing, Margie says. Boy, is this confusing. Peter, what can you, I'm not sharing. Well, I'm gonna I'm share. I'm, I know, I'm getting there. Here we go, here we go. Here we go. I was not sharing, but I am now. Because Peter, you and I need to talk about the Discover Loan. Correct. And the Discover Loan is one that, that I was not aware existed. Um, it is a product that you have sort of brought out of the closet for interesting times for some of your investor clients. And I'm going to let you tell us a little about what the Discover Loan is. It says it's a debt service coverage ratio, and it's an investment home loan. That covers a lot of ground. What does all that mean?
2: It's a limited documentation loan um, in a nutshell. If you've got more than 10 mortgaged properties or you don't want to share tax returns or tax returns don't report enough income to qualify for a conventional loan, use a DSCR, Discover, debt service coverage ratio loan. For those of us who remember stated income loans, this is similar to it, it's only available for non-owner occupied properties.
0: Very interesting. So this is as close as it gets today for the old stated income. Now, um, that's when things were so easy. My dog, um, Ranger, qualified for a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage based on his occupation as a guard dog. Correct. Correct. And here you don't even have to have a job. Is that correct?
2: Uh, If you own rental property, you are considered um, uh, employed and you meet the criteria, but we don't need to know where you work, how much your income is, what you declare on your tax returns. Um, I may want to look at tax returns to see if this is the best alternative for you, but that doesn't mean I would share them with underwriting. Um, if we decide to do this loan.
0: And so unlike traditional loans, this is one where the the lender is focused on the property itself and its ability to generate income.
2: Exactly. We are only considering the property you're trying to refinance. That's all.
0: All right. So what uh, the question comes up, what types of people would be interested in these. I understand that Fannie and Freddie have an official or unofficial limit of either 4 or 10, depending on who you believe, um, non-owner-occupied loans on your credit report showing. And once you get to that 10 level, it's becomes much more difficult for someone to gain conventional financing for a rental property. Is that correct?
2: It, it doesn't become difficult. You just can't do it. So, okay. Um, so
0: it's, it's off the, off the, the books. Here's a way that uh, can solve the problem here. Uh, you already mentioned people who don't report sufficient income and you know one of the goals of tax planning, of course, is to minimize legally, if possible, our sources of income and theoretically maximize expenses, including um, um, expenses like depreciation, which might be a non-cash expenditure, but nonetheless, I assume these things are taken into account by DSCR.
2: And and let's back up because I I don't want, um, uh, you could have three mortgages, and um still use this type of loan. It's not that you have more than 10, it's that you're not eligible for a conventional loan. Having more having 10 or more is is will make you non-eligible, but let's just say you have three or four rental properties. Um, and there are other reasons why you can't go conventional, one being primarily you don't show sufficient income. You're self-employed, so um, I don't want there to be confusion with someone saying, "Well, I only have three mortgages." You could do a DSCR loan.
0: I got it. The old Discover loan to the rescue. Now, um, if and and we can do this. Somebody, somebody asked me this past week. In fact, I had several calls on this, Peter, and I couldn't answer because I've never done one of these, but. Um, they wanted to know how far out. Is this a 10-year loan or a 15-year loan? Uh, What what can be done here?
2: Uh, Believe it or not, you can do a 30 or a 40-year, and you can do it uh, fixed, adjustable, or interest only. Interest only is the 40-year term, 10 years interest only, 30 years to pay their, uh, the amortized uh, principal and interest back. Um, so, they're long-term. It's not a short-term financing. You can get a fixed rate. You don't have to worry about a jump in the interest rate in three or four or five years.
0: And it looks to me, uh, and this is, as you said last time, restricted to non-owner-occupied property. I can't, if I'm buying a house for me and Margie to move in, this is not an option. Correct. Okay. All right. And so without getting too far into the weeds here, how do we calculate the discover ratio on the property that I want to buy or refinance?
2: Well, there's the calculation right there. Um, We look at the monthly rent either by the lease or what the appraiser says divided by the PITI. Presumably, the factor is greater than one, but you can even do this loan if it's below one, which means the income, the rental income is not sufficient to pay the mortgage payment. But most that we see, have a factor greater than 1.0. If you keep on advancing your slide, you'll see some calculations, I believe.
0: So here's an example. We got monthly rent of 1450, which in this market is a little low. Principal interest, taxes, insurance is 873. So the ratio is 1450 to 873, or 1.66 is what that works out to. And that seems to me Uh, to be the type of loan we're all sort of looking for. I always tell people, if you don't have positive cash flow, you want the property to pay you, not you pay the property. Correct. So if uh, it would concern me if your ratio was below one, that would indicate to me that you had negative cash flow, which is, except for very unique situations, would not be something we would hope to see. Um, and you've said that ratios must be at least one for qualifying, but actually under one can be done with sufficient reserves. And of course, the reason they'd want to see those reserves is you're stating up front, the rent's not going to cover the debt service. Correct. Okay. All right. Um, and the rent is determined either by the lease, if you do have a valid lease on it, or appraisers can do a, what they call a rental survey and estimate what they think the rent would be on that particular property. Very interesting. Uh, Are there any other requirements we need to know about? Uh,
2: There we go. One to four units. So you can do a single family, duplex, triplex, or quad. Um, Credit scores are 600 or above. Um, Experience as defined, owning and managing rental properties. If you've got two or three rental properties and you've had them for 12 to 24 months, you've met the experience. Um, Reserves, which is cash in the bank, retirement, but um, if you're doing cash out at the closing, that cash out that you're anticipated to receive can be considered reserves and then number five, property must be an average condition.
0: And when you say average condition, we're talking about habitable. I mean, the, yes. the 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 bushes must be in, the air conditioning must work. I mean, the the normal things you would expect, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it's got to be habitable.
2: Yeah. One, um, one point that um, I actually um, was researching and came across was if you've there's not, You don't see it often, um, but if you've got an Airbnb rental, let's say it's at Lakeland Air, and you don't have at least, um, there's a, a way to calculate what you've received as Airbnb income in the recent past. Do some quick and dirty math to figure out what the average monthly rent would be.
0: Very interesting because... I, I will share with you and, and our viewers, Margie and I have shied away from the Airbnb business just because for so many years, we did VRBO and found it to be very hands-on, very um, management intense, I guess I would say. Uh, and it, of course, different strokes for different folks. Obviously, you can maximize revenues that way, but- um, very interesting that this would work in that situation. And then finally, this is a real eye-opener to me. Condos are eligible. Um, I have, in my career, had to do backflips trying to get condominiums approved for FHA and VA and conventional. And you, they have these arbitrary limits on how, what percentage are rented and everything else. How do condominiums work with the Discover loan?
2: Well, they're e- eligible for this loan. Obviously, there has to, that, that project has to meet some minimum baseline requirements, but in reading it, they, they don't appear to be too strenuous.
0: Good, good, good. Well, um, and looks like you've got purchase loans up to 85%, which is good because all I'm hearing everywhere else is 75, refinance up to 80% loan to value, refinance no cash out up to 85%, wow. And um, tell me how they're able to do this because this is more generous than we're seeing from conventional lenders.
2: Uh, My suggestion is have a conversation, and I I will say, if during the conversation, um, I'm thinking it's possible to do this conventional, I'd always say, let's go, let's explore that quickly to determine if that's an opportunity before we switch to this, Um, so I may still want to see tax returns, um, you know, some people say, I asked, you know, my bank and they said, oh, I looked at your tax returns and they don't work. But in some instances, they do work. So let's have that discussion um, before we make the final decision as to which way to go.
0: Peter, this is a very interesting loan program that you have brought to the table. I would recommend that every um, uh, person out there who We've got people listening right now that for whatever reason may not be eligible for a conventional loan and own property either free and clear or very close to it and would like to lock in an interest rate right now, and this Discover loan might be a possibility for them. Is Is that a valid observation?
2: Yeah, let, let's have a conversation. And um, I'm, I'm more than happy to provide written quotes, um, but let's get some basic information down. So we're both talk, we're, we're both looking at the same thing.
0: Very interesting. 678-557-9759. Seven, the Discover loan is only available from Peter Burke and the best way to reach him is to either send him a text and he will get back to you or better yet, just call him right now, 678-557-9759. I always recommend start the conversation because if you don't start that conversation, nothing will happen. And this is a way to take a step and just see what's available. Um, because if you don't take that step, you'll never know. It's a DSCR loan, which Peter has branded the Discover Loan. It's for real estate investors, and you can find out more about it at 678-557-9759. Peter, thank you for sharing this with us.
2: Thank you, everybody. Have a great rest of your weekends. Talk to you next weekend.
0: Very good, sir. Um And with that, we're going to go back to my top 10 list, if I can find it here, of I've got to stop this sharing, okay? And I've got to close this. One day I'll learn how to do all this stuff. (laughs) And go right back to this. No oh, oh, I remember now, uh, to this. Here we go. Watch this, folks. So we have did number 13, 12, and 11. Let's start at top 10 changes in landlord-tenant law since the beginning of um, um, the COVID problem, and we're at number 10 right now. in my career or my years of career. expanded in the last 24 months. And the first is that under my lease, the killer lease, which you should be using, the death of a sole tenant constitutes abandonment. And I hate to say this, but this has happened to me now two times in my career. Or Margie is a three, two or three. Margie doesn't know. Anyway, what happens at is At least two. At least two. The, the the tenant passes away, which is a tragedy. Um, it's usually pretty gross because if it's a sole tenant, they typically obviously they live by themselves. And we had a situation where the deceased was there in the unit. The a dog was there with the tenant who eventually started crying and alerted another tenant that there must be something wrong and the police were summoned and obviously at that point but what do you do you the police notify you hey we have had um, a a person living here has passed away which of course is sort of a shock to begin with and then what do you do can you take possession well no under georgia law uh, absent a definition of abandonment, which typically abandonment is not covered in the GAR lease, why should it be? So um, we have gone to considerable trouble to define abandonment even though it is not defined specifically under Georgia Landlord Tenant Law. And we have not seen this challenged in court. I don't think we're going to because typically when someone is deceased, they rarely mount challenges, at least not in this world. And um, uh, it, it just basically says if the person passes away and there are no other tenants, they have effectively abandoned the property and you may seize it immediately. Now, some of you may say, well, John, you've said in the past I can seize it anyway for the protection of the property, which is probably true, but this clarifies that. And I can tell you this, and I hope this never happens to you, but it has to me. If somebody dies in one of your properties, you want to remedy that situation as quickly as possible. You want to remove every trace of what happened. And so, the killer lease does that for you now. Number nine, abandonment is now more easily identified. Now how is this different from the death? Well, abandonment also occurs when a tenant just disappears in the middle of the night. You drive by there. Maybe the next door neighbor calls and says they were here till 3 a.m. moving out, and uh, I didn't know what to do, so I called you this morning to tell you they're gone. Looks like to me. Okay, under Georgia law, you can't take possession of that property, even though I have said there's a case to be made for seizing the property for its own protection but you'd be on potentially thin ice if the tenant came back and said, wait a minute, we just went on vacation and took all our furniture with us. I know that sounds crazy to you. I'm just telling you that that's what a tenant could say and they probably would win. So, because Georgia refuses to identify abandonment, I turned to California and Florida who have identified abandonment (coughs) and it is apparently in those states anyway, uh, withstood scrutiny of state courts and apparently the federal courts. And so, we have included in the killer lease a series of what our attorneys tell us are reasonable tests. So, for example, is the property? empty is does the stuff that's left behind look like junk or does it look like and you by the way you should be taking pictures we tell you all about this um have they canceled utilities or are the utility are they behind on the rent if they're not behind on the rent you better not take that property because they've paid for it remember interest is paid in arrears rent is paid in advance if these people have paid for the rent it ain't yours until they surrender it and you accept it but if they just disappear and the rent's passed to and uh, either somebody is willing to tell you or um, the utilities have been turned off or the doors wide open which constitutes a nuisance uh, you have to hit like three out of the five conditions in the killer lease you can see that for yourself but if that happens the lease says possession is granted to you immediately now will that stand up in court i don't know but i think it's quite reasonable and the attorneys that we use to uh advise and direct us with the killer lease are saying yes we believe this would stand up in court Now, as you know, if you've used the killer lease before, I am um, a little on the aggressive side in terms of landlord rights because look, you've got a lot more invested in it than the tenant does, right? Okay, so that's the position we're taking. Furthermore, not only is possession granted, but if they abandon, that means extra work for you and we have written into the lease that additional charges will apply for the process of dealing with the abandoned property and we're going to get to charges in just a minute number eight notice of conviction and or registration it is now legal to put into the lease that if a tenant commits a, I'm not talking about an application. I'm talking about an existing tenant commits a felony, uses drugs, or is a sex offender if they're convicted of any of these things, or they have gone on some registration list. And by the way, the state of Georgia does maintain a public sex offender registration list county by county uh they are required to notify you in writing or through the Tenant Portal if there is one. And failure to do that is a violation of the lease. It is an event of default. And so, at that point, you can terminate the lease and evict them for failure to let you know that they've been convicted of using drugs or that they've had a felony or something like that okay um i just want to know who's in my property remember you have a responsibility for the actions to a certain extent of the tenant if you did or should have known of their circumstances you say well i didn't know well guess what some court may say you should have known and this will help at least i think so and of course Once that happens, termination and charges may apply. Uh, You're going to be seeing a consistent theme here. Two years ago, Airbnb hardly existed today. It's about to put the hotel business under. I have never done Airbnb because I'm not comfortable with that high level of hands-on. No question, if you can keep people in there, you'll have a lot of revenue. I did uh, VRBO weekly rentals and sometimes just weekend rentals on St. Simons for almost 12-15 years. So, don't tell me about short-term rentals. Uh, But it's a lot of work for the landlord and for the owner of the property. I don't want my tenant turning my rental property into an Airbnb because it's very hard on the property. And if you think your tenant is not tempted to do that, you are sadly mistaken. So, in my lease, Airbnb is prohibited. Now, there's nothing that says you can't make an exception. And you could even go to your tenant and say, look, if you want to do Airbnb and you're willing to be responsible for it, that's fine, but I'll let's split 50-50. Well, they're not going to like that, but I think they owe that to you. They're going to say well i've paid for it no there's additional wear and tear when you got people coming in and moving out and that type of thing so so much for that charges may apply and they cannot even list it in a lodging they can't put it on airbnb they can't put it on vrbo okay uh renter's insurance for many years all my lease did was strongly encourage All right. What we're going to do, boys and girls, is we are going to save numbers, numbers six through one for next week. Uh, looks like we're just about halfway through the presentation. I apologize. I'm so wordy, but, and, and Margie says, don't get in the weeds. Well, I, I think it's important sometimes that we do get in the weeds um, because we need to understand what it is we're doing to protect our property, to protect ourselves. Um, And one of the biggest changes I think I've seen over 30 or 40 years of landlording is the litigious nature of landlord-tenant. Tenants are perfectly happy to sue you now and get you into court and then uh, paint some story before this magistrate judge that how evil you are and and how innocent they are and they could never do anything wrong. So we'll come back next week and finish this. I am now going to try to stop sharing, and I'm going to close this. No, 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 we don't want to end the webinar for all. (laughs) Cancel. All right, let's do this. Um, We'll go here. Okay, and now we're going to go to uh, slides and... Let's see where we're going to have an intermission. And when we have intermission, I'm going to get our friend. um, Ian Robbins is going to join me, and we're going to talk about squatters because you won't believe what has happened in DeKalb County, Georgia. But it's time for us to take a short break. You've got four minutes to get a fresh cup of coffee, I'm going to share my screen, and it's going to be right here, and we're going to share it right here. It's working. This is great. I'm going to turn on the slideshow, and now we're going to have our intermission. We'll be right back. Go get a fresh cup of coffee, folks, because you need to learn about squatters. Ian Robbins joins me next here on the Real Estate Coffee Break. And we are back for the second hour and it's gonna be a lot of fun. And boy, did we get a bunch of questions. Must be a dozen people want to talk to Peter Burke, wanted to ask questions about the down payment and what the rates are and whether it can be done out of state. And the answer is, call Peter. Um, They're good questions. But as I say, um, if we try to answer that level of detail question, we're going to be in trouble because I've never done one of those loans. Frankly, I didn't know that much about it. Uh, Ian Robbins joins us now, I hope, as a panelist. Uh, I think if I can find Ian here, I think he's here. Ah, yes, Ian joins us, um, and we are going to talk. Hello. We're glad glad to have you. I've got to um, do a little housekeeping here, and that's going to be done right over here. And now what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about squatters because um, I think it's worthwhile. And, folks, you are not going to believe that a military, a member of the United States military from DeKalb County, Georgia, a homeowner was deployed. I believe, either somewhere, and lo and behold, he comes home after being gone for a year or two, and guess what? Somebody has moved into his house, and he's trying to throw these people out, and it turns out they're squatters, and they have moved in, they have trashed his house, and guess what? He has No recourse. Can you believe that? He must now file a dispossessory and wait and wait and wait. I'd be tempted to go get a gun, but I wouldn't do that. But anyway, uh, let's do this. Um, We are still waiting on Ian, and Ian will join us when he can. I'm going to put Ian down here so we'll know that he's there. And um, um, all of you, I'm continuing to get questions on the Discover loan. And I would just encourage all of you, please pick up the phone and call Peter Burke because uh, he's got the right answers. And I'll be honest, you're asking the wrong person. So um, I see that we're joined now by my evil twin, my. Uh, co-host in hour number two of the Coffee Break, Ian Robbins, what a joy to see you today. How are you, my friend?
1: John, I'm doing great, and I was, as they say in today's vernacular, laughing out loud from the first hour when you said that uh, sometimes tenants take all their furniture with them, and but they were just on vacation. and they were Right, the right. <laughs> I
0: had that happen one time. I mean, they were just indignant. And I said, well, where's all your furniture? Oh, we took that with us. Well, okay, whatever. But in any case, uh, I mark as a, a, a victory for landlords that we have been able to apparently identify a reasonable standard for abandonment at least reasonable enough that we have used it and not had any challenges. Now, that doesn't mean that it would would pass muster, depending on which particular judge it got in front of. And, of course, we do not have any um, uh, Georgia code to back us up on this, but uh, there are many areas in Georgia landlord-tenant law, where we have no guidance from the state legislature. And in situations like that, uh, obviously a judge is gonna consider you know, both sides and make a decision, but as you have pointed out uh, numerous times, the more paper trail we have, the more uh, uh, transparency, and the more organized we are, the better our chances when we get into court.
1: So let's well, it's go ahead, real. please. I do need to tell the audience a story that uh, thank you, John Adams, because you have gave us some tests, some, some ways for a judge to make decisions. And I had a situation uh, literally on a Valentine's Day dinner. And just to give you a perspective, and long story short, though, uh, I had two abandoned cars on a property. But because of abandonment, because of the killer lease, because they had given me the keys and because I had an eviction and I had a writ in Stantor, this particular uh, tenant decided they wanted the abandoned cars uh, 12 days after they abandoned the property. So the next thing you know, I have a police report of stolen property. I'm here to tell you today that I'm not in jail because of John Adams' good teaching. I instantly sent the writ instanter to the sheriff at 11:30 at night. I haven't heard a word. But the real world is people what John says your tenants will come up with all types of reasons. Uh, truly, we took our furniture with us and we didn't abandon he's not he's talking the truth. <laughs> yeah. very real.
0: It you know could be and and you know it takes all kinds. Let's just be honest. There the, you know there are a lot of different people in the world that's what makes the world interesting and makes the world go round
1: scary and, too yes. yeah,
0: well, it can be but we we're, we're not all like you and me we don't all follow Clark Howard thank goodness um, I do and I know you do but uh, many people do not and those are the ones who probably rent from us so anyway this poor, Military gentleman in DeKalb County, Ian, comes home from a deployment in Europe somewhere to find his own house has been hijacked by squatters who will not let him in. And he (laughs) called the police and they said, there's nothing we can do.
1: Crazy. Yep.
0: Crazy. So let's look at, at just a little bit here and see what we can find. Margie, are you around? I'd like to talk to you in just a second here. Um, So we're going to start this. Squatters rights in Georgia. And this is, this picture is sort of uh, indicative of what it looks like when you probably have a squatter. Typically there are mattresses on the floor and old nasty blankets and unshaven and unkempt and unclean individuals who have drug in chairs from the street and the whole place, look at these liquor bottles over there. They're having a good time, every one of them. So this is what we want to avoid. Um, And here's a definition of squatting. It is the action of occupying an abandoned or unoccupied area of land or a building, usually it's residential, that the squatter does not own, rent, or otherwise have lawful permission to use. And I was interested to learn, um, Ian, the United Nations estimates that in 2003, there were 1 billion slum residents and squatters globally. Have you ever been to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil? I have not. Well, you should go and take your beautiful bride with you because it is one of the most beautiful places I've been on the planet. And Rio de Janeiro, it's like the mountains come right up to the beach and then they drop off. So you've got the city is at the bottom of the mountains but going all the way up the side of the mountains in all directions is what they call flavellas. And they are sort of hand built um, cottages out of used wood and used pieces of brick and anything they can find. And these people, it's they're very creative and very clever. Obviously they don't have, uh, running water. They don't have proper sewage. Um, and, and, but this is where a large portion of the residents of Rio de Janeiro live. And it's in these slums that are in plain sight. And I've never, they, they warned us, don't go up there, even in the middle of the daytime. But they tell us that some of the most beautiful views in Rio are from the slums. And that's all private land. And all these people are just up there squatting. So I don't know if a billion is right or not, but I'm telling you, in other parts of the world, there's a lot of squatters out there. So what is the danger for us in allowing squatters? Well, in Georgia, a squatter can acquire property ownership. And by the way, this is not a typical thing to happen. I've been in it. This business now since 74. Uh, I've had squatters before, and I've never had anybody try to um, seek adverse possession and say that they owned the property because they had been living there. Georgia law does allow potentially a legal doctrine known as adverse possession. This comes to us through, as so many things do, English common law, We're going back now to the Magna Carta, and um, I don't know exactly what their provisions were, but different states have different requirements that a squatter has to meet before making an adverse possession claim. In Georgia, there are five distinct requirements that a squatter must meet to gain ownership of your property. And if you can just prevent one of those one, nobody listening to this show should ever have a squatter. And we're going to talk about the dangers. I mean, there's liability for you. But the worst of all worlds would not only be to have a squatter, but for have that squatter to stay there so long that an attorney would talk them into suing you for for ownership of the property.
1: And you know what, John? Just a couple of thoughts on that. I appreciate Please. for our audience, uh, we once had a speaker at the landlord subgroup. And he talked about some houses that he bought. This guy, he would admit he had too many houses. So he told the story where he bought some two motor homes, actually, uh, mobile homes. And they were a good deal. And He's a very good investor, and a good friend. And I call him for referrals, but he made a point. He said, I bought the homes, but I've never been there for, I haven't been there for like eight months. And who knows what can happen. Um, this is very real. Um, Don't buy too much. Uh, um, You you know, as, as um, Sean Schwab talks about, you know, do what you can handle and not overdo it. Well, this guy overdid it. It, it, And it can happen.
0: Also things happen in our lives. Um, um, you, You know, we all face a Personal tragedy: A friend of mine passed away over the weekend, or uh, earlier this week, and I'm just real sad about that. Well, I probably didn't get as much done on the day he passed. I didn't get done what I was supposed to get done. Now I'm playing catch-up. So, you know, things happen in our lives. I don't think people should feel bad that they um, have bought too many houses. <laughs> it's a great condition, but uh, bring in somebody to help you get get the job done if you need to. So let's take a look at the five distinct requirements, and part of it is in Georgia, the law says you have to stay in the property for 20 uninterrupted years and occupy the property exclusively. 20 years, wow, that's a long time. So how else could somebody get at it? Well, you got to decide, is this person a squatter or a trespasser? Many people assume that a squatter uh, is a trespasser, and that's not the case. A squatter only becomes a trespasser if the owner decides to evict them by seeking help from appropriate authorities. Here we're talking about either the magistrate court or the state court. And you would file a demand notice, and the person would have to refuse to deliver the property during the demand, in which case you could then file a dispossessory action on the same day um, and begin the eviction process. At, you know, once you get a writ of possession, at that point, squatting is no longer a civil matter. It is a criminal offense. So... And we've got tenants at will and tenants at sufferance. Um, According to this definition, a tenant at sufferance uh, versus a tenancy as will is uh, is that the landlord's actually given permission to a tenant to live there. Maybe not pay rent, but uh, you had a lease, it expired, and I said, Ian, you said, I don't want to leave, but I'm too lazy to sign uh, a renewal or I may be moving and I don't want to sign a rule, and I say, Ian, just stay there as long as you want to and pay me what you can, when you can, or pay me $100 a month or whatever you can do, that is a tenancy at sufferance. No, I'm sorry, that's a tenancy at will. A tenancy at sufferance occurs without the landlord's permission. Okay? So those are two separate things there but squatters don't fall under either of those after living on a property for a certain uninterrupted period. And we mentioned 20 years, a squatter can make an adverse possession claim to the property in the state of Georgia to make that claim. A squatter needs to have stayed on the property for at least 20 years. It has to be continuous, not interrupted for weeks or months at a time, but This is where a lot of misunderstanding occurs. In Georgia, there is a legal doctrine that's referred to as color of title. And it says under the doctrine of color of title, that time can be reduced from 20 years to just seven years. So what is, go ahead, go ahead, please.
1: Oh, I, I'm very interested. How do you go from 20 to 7 and get adverse possession?
0: Um, well, color of title is a legal term that refers to the documented ownership, and that's what we call the title, and, and it says, you know what? This title is muddied now. It has significant defects, and there's a challenge on record, and it is, probably would the fact that your squatter would challenge the title would cloud the title to the extent that it might invalidate your otherwise valid claim to ownership of the property. Now, you'd have to do a motion to quiet title at that point, and you're going into court. But at that point, a superior court judge is going to be saying, do you or do you not own the property? And, and a superior court judge in Georgia is a very powerful position. This is the only elected official in Georgia that has the power of life and death. I mean, they can literally send you to the gas chamber or whatever's available. I hope that doesn't happen to anybody I know. But color of title is a, a, a legal doctrine in Georgia that says you don't have to go the full 20 years in order to challenge the title. So how do you get this seven years? Under Georgia Code 44-4-7, Georgia will grant title where a trespasser has occupied land under color of title. Color of title is just a legal way of saying that that individual has some sort of legal documentation to support the occupation. For example, a faulty deed or an example would be if this person went and paid the tax on the property. Right. Yep. Ian, I have had attorneys tell me that in their opinion, the fact, I mean, I could completely abandon a pro They don't recommend this, but you could completely abandon it to squatters And the fact that you paid the title, I mean, the uh, property taxes every year, is in essence flying your flag. In other words, you are now notoriously conspicuous as the owner, because only the owner pays taxes. And so uh, one way that this person could establish color of title would be to pay back taxes, and they'd have to live there as well. So. And Margie always says to me, uh, don't get in the
1: weeds too much. <laughs> but you know what, John? I appreciate the discussion because just what comes to mind very quickly is this could happen for a couple of reasons. It could be an estate situation, not necessarily a total stranger, but some cousin shows up and starts living in a deceased person's house. Well, that person, if they knew how to pay the taxes, they I can see a cousin taking over an uncle's house who had no relatives and next let, thing and let other-
0: me tell you where this has happened in a big, big way is on beautiful St. Simons Island, wow. the crown jewel of Georgia's coastal empire. And it tidal problems have tied up former slave properties on St. Simons Island for the last hundred years.
1: I believe it. Now that and, you're talking about it, it makes sense. And,
0: and what you've got here is here were, um, after the war between the states, obviously Lincoln freed the slaves, but many of the slaves were living on these plantations in houses supplied by the owners of the plantation. Well, the owners of the plantation may have abandoned the property. We don't know. They may have died in the war. They may have just decided to go somewhere else, or they may have stayed in the vicinity, but decided, well, if the slaves wish to continue living there, that's okay with me. And in doing so, this color of title passed from the owner of the plantation to someone, but we don't know who. Because many, many times there was nothing put in writing. We're typically dealing with illiterate folks who continued in many cases to work for the same people that had been their owners at at one point previously. And it just led to this massive confusion, who owns these parcels? And then because we're now talking a long period of time, Ian, um it got much more cloudy because somebody would have five children, let's say, and all five are raised at that house. Oh, yeah. And then the old man passes away intestate. Now who owns the house? Is it all five? Is it the two that are living there now? Is is uh uh Son number one has pitched a tent in the backyard. Is, does he get a piece of the land? I mean, it's just a mess. And, of course, you also have these um, situations where developers are constantly, some of this land, Ian, on St. Simons is worth millions. And these people put up signs that say, won't sell, don't ask.
1: Really? Okay. Just and,
0: and I'll never forget, there was one on, um, well, it's now called Mallory Drive, but it was something else at the intersection with Demory Road, and it was just a rundown, down ramshackle. It didn't look like humans could live there, but they have one of these big signs, won't sell, don't ask. And somebody apparently ignored the sign because just recently that house was bulldozed. The lot was prepared properly and there's now a million dollar house on that lot. <laughs> so I hope whoever the family is was amply rewarded. But, um, you know, it, it's, this is one of the problems with title. So let's look at these five. Centimeters. Centimeters. Go First,
1: ahead. Well, as a trained salesman, we. We're taught the sales starts after the first no. And the way I look at that story is the, the person who got that house legally and did it properly, he probably just was a persistent investor. And our audience can learn from, okay, the first couple of times they say no, that's okay. Um, stay on it. I guess you got to raise the empty a little bit. And apparently they get, got to the right price. What do you think?
0: I think so. You know, they say everything is for sale at some price. That may not be true, but these people had put up a sign said won't sell, don't ask. Somebody asked and they sold.
1: <laughs> have to ask it. Absolutely. So, but John, whatever happened though in St. Simon's, are these properties still vacant and or they're no, not in, in or...
0: almost every case, remnants of the family or the extended family, and I'm now bringing in cousins and and great-aunts and oh, yeah. uncles. I mean, these people, There's it's a very fluid situation, and they have all been offered lots of money to sign quitclaim deeds. And of course, you've got title attorneys that are doing backflips, trying to figure out how do you prevent forever a family, which now is five or six generations and wide, how do you prevent somebody from coming back and saying, wait a minute, Uncle Josiah promised that I could live here for the rest of my life? It, it, it's maddening, and I assure you they're working on it, but there are areas Proctor Lane, that's the one, Proctor Lane. There are areas where the original shacks are still there and people are living in them.
1: Incredible. And, John, I stand corrected because a couple weeks ago I was not really excited about quick-claim deeds, but I'd be there trying to get a quick-claim deed everybody to sign if I own it. You know, title, and,
0: and once up. you have started filing these quick claim deeds, that gives you at least color of title, doesn't it? It does. Yep. Because even, even though there may be other claimants out there, you're letting the world know by filing a quick claim deed that you are claiming an ownership interest now. And if anybody tries to go through you or around you, you have a. Um, a theoretically valid claim against that person for not buying your interest out. So you can see how you approach a, a 16 or an 18 year old person of age who's raking leaves in the front yard. And you say, I'll give you a hundred dollars. If you'll sign this quick claim deed, the kid just <laughs> signs away <laughs> and you give him a hundred dollar bill and you run to the courthouse. Now who owns it? I don't know. Anyway, In order for this color of title to pass, here's some things that would have to happen. And I want to go through this relatively quickly because I don't want us to waste all our time. It's already 35 minutes after the hour. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, The first is there has to be continuous possession of the unit. Now, this means a lot of things. it's it's called a hostile um a hostile action in order to seek to obtain color of title and hostile in this case simply means that you it doesn't mean violent it simply means you have occupied the property but it has to have been continuous um and there are actually multiple definitions one of which, as you pointed out, could very easily be a good faith mistake. So where Uncle Bob passed away and he had always told um, nephew Julius that uh, on his death he would get to live in that house, um, uh, Julius may think it's his, and he may actually have a piece of paper that says it's his, That doesn't mean it's his, but he has met the first requirement because he has to have lived there seven years, and he has to have been in continuous possession. So if he moved out for a month and then came back, that doesn't qualify. Next, requirement number two, it has to be exclusive possession. And that means it can't be shared with the owner or with another person. Now this would be important where if Julius had been living with uncle Bob for six years and then uncle Bob died, Julius could not say after one year I've hit the seven years because that was not exclusive. That six year was in possession with uncle Bob. Okay. So he would fail there. Number three, The occupation must be open and notorious. What that means is it must be obvious to anyone who looks. And the the theory here, and again, this comes from English common law. You've got, in order to own a piece of real estate, you must fly your flag. You must say, this is mine, and it doesn't belong to anyone else, and you can't come in. That it that's has to be, there has to be exclusion and anybody who looks, who, who more than casually investigates must be able to pretty clearly see that this is, you are possessing it and you're not trying to hide it. If, if you can show the court evidence that these people were hiding, they wouldn't come to the front door. um, They did all these other things to hide it um that would preclude someone from obtaining color of title. Number four, they have to have actual possession of the property, which means they can't pass it off to somebody else. They can't claim color of title and then claim, well, I rented it to uh, Mr. Ian Robbins, And he rented it to somebody else, but he knew I was the owner during this. That doesn't, it has to be actual possession. Uh, There can't be any sharing and there can't be any other tenants there. And then number five, you have to be able to make a hostile claim. And I don't want to go into too much detail, but in Georgia, you, in order for the claim to be valid, you've got to do these four things, and then against the wishes of the owner, you have to bring an action, which would be a hostile claim of color of title. And that's what the law says. Now, Georgia has some different laws. Different states have different numbers of years. It's 20 continuous or seven under color of title, to start an adverse possession claim. So how do we prevent these things? And, Ian, jump in um, at any point, because a lot of these things are things you and I have talked about. Go ahead.
1: Well, just a couple of thoughts, going back to your first example with the guy who came back from overseas serving in the armed forces. and So this is very real, because what I appreciated, you know, when the police showed up, the police did their job and were not able to say you need to leave. He had to go through a process. So this is very real. The one thing I had, I wrote, a, you know, you talked about uh, Rio de Janeiro and sewage and water. You know, I, one thing I think about quite often is just how blessed we are that we turn on the water to brush our teeth in the morning. And that is, uh, you know, a gift that's incredibly rare in some parts of the world Um, you know it it really is i'm sure up that mountain they that would be amazing and they don't have that Um, so i'm wondering about back to this guy who took over when the guy was in the army what did he do with um utilities you don't have to answer we probably don't know the answer but
0: yeah apparently he did have the utilities on and at this point, there's a question about how that happened, and right. I I would have to chime in that both Georgia Power and the DeKalb Water and Sewer Department make it almost impossible for a landlord to get utilities turned on, and how they allowed these squatters to get it on. I mean, I as a landlord in DeKalb County, I have to have like. Uh, federal legislation, in order to get permission to pay them for the damn water and sewer.
1: Well, there could have been some fraud involved, um, you know. But one thing: when you use the word "adverse," and I realize this is probably used in many parts of the law, but just this week, you know, I was studying a little bit about fair housing and and sending out my high uh, deposit request. And my point is that's. Technically, what's called an adverse action, but it's it's an adverse action letter to say it's not your. I'm, I'm accepting you under these conditions. Right, but they use that same word here. You're using adverse in a whole different way, but not to be confused. But I think this is very real, John, and I appreciate you bringing it up. I think us landlords, just to keep it simple, if we're active, if we're fixing stuff, it's almost. A great thing that we have some proactivity, not a lot, like you said, Airbnb, but some sort of uh, proactivity is, uh, as we say, duty of care. These things won't happen, and just uh, weeding the garden is is something you got to be able to do all the time.
0: Absolutely, and and you know, you don't think that somebody's going to move into a house that sits empty for a month and you know you're involved in a family matter and it's the least thing on your mind and then somebody moves in you found and, my tenants
1: you found them i mean i don't know where you found my tenants john but you're talking about all my tenants i don't know what i'm going to do this week and pay the rent but
0: crazy crazy so how can we prevent squatters well one is again you and i ian have talked about this a thousand times carry out regular property inspections And I think that is a minimum getting in the property once a year and driving by at the minimum, just a drive by once a quarter, just to see what it looks like on the outside. Um, My experience has always been that the outside of a property reflects the person living there. If somebody... (laughs) If somebody drives a ramshackle, nasty car up and 16 people pile out, that's indicative to me of how they're going to keep my property. And that's not what it's so. And I can see that from the outside. So property inspections. Um, And this is interesting. You need to be able to say in court that, yes, in our last inspection, we checked all the door locks the window locks, and they were all in proper operating condition. Now, if you've got the um, um, property inspection checklist that we've made available to our listeners and our viewers, these are all covered there. But some people just, they don't think that's important. I think it's very important, particularly in establishing that a squatter has a harder time to get in. Posting signs that say no trespassing, all trespassers will be prosecuted. Until I did this research, Ian, I had no idea that posting the act of posting that sign and taking a picture of it on the property could contribute in court to your argument that you had notified this tenant that they would be prosecuted and that they could not trespass there. And you may tear it down or the neighbors may tear it down seconds later, but you now have proof that at least at the time you took the picture, there it was. What else? Beginning the formal eviction proceedings as soon as you find out there are squatters living in your property. Folks, this is so important. If you have squatters, you need an attorney because I assure you the squatters are going to get um, the Legal Aid Society or somebody, Well, they'll get an attorney who will make you out to look like Simon Legree. and, And instead, you need an attorney who is familiar with this type of thing to be on your side and present the truth and gather the evidence that hopefully you have gathered previously. Offering the squatter the option to rent the unit. Isn't this interesting? I never thought about this. Thus, if you can get that squatter to sign any kind of agreement, now they are in fact a tenant subject to the terms of that agreement and it puts you in a much stronger position. Again, I would recommend this be done only under the advice of your attorney, which I I am not, but I, I now see how that would strengthen your hand as the owner because you've now formalized the relationship, and you're saying, I'm the owner, you're the tenant, and we agree on that. Well, that pretty much stops their claim of ownership, doesn't it? So that that would be one way of um, uh, stopping the claim anyway. Seeking the help of a court in evicting the squatters if they fail to honor the demand notice. That goes right back to beginning the formal eviction proceedings. I would remind everyone that a recent court ruling in Georgia says that contrary to popular belief, Once you make a demand for the property, there is no required waiting period before you can file a dispossessory warrant. So literally, you could stop by the property and give a demand notice to any person of legal age, or you could post it on the door, take a picture of it, and drive straight to the courthouse and when they say, hold up your right hand, you've demanded the property, and they've refused to give it to you,
1: you say yes. And- John, a couple of comments, though. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but in the Landlord Survival Guide, I think it's uh, day one, you're late. Day five, um, you, we, we, we uh, do a demand letter. But I think the demand letter, at least the last time I looked at it, gives two days. But what you're saying in effect is you doesn't need to be two days. That's a courtesy of two days, which is a short time. But is that what you're saying? Is that yeah, absolutely.
0: It is a courtesy because it is not required. Now, um, prior to this particular ruling in Georgia, many courts felt that the opportunity to uh, answer the demand uh, or to resolve the issue. So, for example, let's say that you're demanding because the person hasn't paid the rent. Well, a lot of courts have the feeling that if you make a demand on someone, they should have a reasonable opportunity to cure the event of default before you evict them. And that is not what the code says. And so we have no statutory guidance on this. And this most recent court that's been pretty much widely agreed upon is that there is no required um, period. Um, once you have made a demand, um, and uh, it needs to be in the correct format, and we give everybody that in the landlord's survival guide, but uh, you can drive straight to the courthouse, and, and you're done at that point.
1: And you know uh, what, you're, but I think that's such a good point, because uh, what you've always said, the process by design will give them time. You can run to the courthouse all day long, and you'll meet a very nice person that will take your money, and then you'll do some serious waiting. And then you'll still show up at the, the the man with the gun or a woman with the gun will show up. And also, you'll be doing some more waiting. So, we got plenty of time. Yeah, there's, there's,
0: there's plenty of waiting. And so, I, I say let's move ahead with whatever speed we can muster because… <coughs> um, I don't know if you ha- heard the interview I did uh, a couple of weeks ago with Joe Cloer, but he pointed out that in his experience as a property manager, and that's all they do um, less than 1% actually get into a courtroom that right. 99% either the people leave voluntarily or they come to a consent agreement or uh, they just agree mutually that the person's going to leave this Saturday and we'll give them a hundred dollars if they leave it clean or something like cash for keys. And he, he said, we use cash for keys all the time because it's in everybody's interest. They want, they need the money you want possession of the property and they can give it to you. And so let's all work together. And he said, he's a big believer in, in solving it as quickly and as easily as possible. But as you well know, each time more time passes, we're beginning to ratchet up the responses to the point where we're getting a writ of possession. We're getting a um, a set-out crew. We're scheduling a marshal or a sheriff to oversee the set-out and we're putting the people out on the street and all of their belongings. Obviously, we don't wanna get to that point. So- So
1: one thing about the first point you were talking about, about going by the property, and I know there's property managers listening, but what I've always said is nobody cares more than you do or nobody cares more than I do about my properties. And so it's certainly, if you have a property manager, which is excellent idea, Uh, in certain situations, it's still to your benefit to be proactive. And I think about those landlords who live long distance from their property. So if you have a property manager and they're three hours away, it still might be worth going by. I know that's easier said than done, but it makes sense because that property manager's got quite a few other properties and may not, and might even be servicing it over the phone and the internet, but has never gone by that just sending out technicians but hasn't been there you're gonna find things that that um, they may not see and they're Absol-
0: absolutely an when uh, I had a property one time thank God we sold it in Doraville and as you know we live in Decatur over here beside Emory and before 285 was built it somehow was not very difficult to get up to this little house on Chicopee Drive in Doraville. But once they built to this, my daddy had bought this house originally. And once they built 285, it became almost impossible to get there. And once you were there, you couldn't get back. And so we didn't, I, I ended up taking the property over when daddy retired. And I, it just was, I was never in that area for some reason. It was very convenient to what he always called the BOP plant. Buick Oldsmobile Pontiac, I think, pretty much it was the GM plant in Doraville, which now they're apparently making into movie studios or something. But um, nonetheless... I did. I mean, there. it was hard to rent that property. And eventually, Ian, I made friends. I just went next door and knocked on the door and introduced myself as the property manager of the house next door. And I offered them cash to give me a report whenever there was any hanky panky going on at the house.
1: Good idea. Sure
0: and it worked and they would call and say there's loud music or they're having a wild party or something There are 27 cars or something you know and you know the the tenants never knew that the neighbors were ratting on them and i would you know i was paying their teenage kid to keep an eye on things and it really was a uh small investment for me so let's forge ahead Hiring expert legal help before attempting a self-help eviction. Now, this is interesting, and I'll be interested in your thoughts on it, because we know that a self-help eviction in Georgia is not allowed. Self-help is where you just go change the locks and put a note on the door saying, sorry, we changed the locks, you're out. And that's not allowed. Um I had a. I suggested one time that if you couldn't get somebody out, you could just remove the front door and take it with you, and tell them you're working on it. Well, unfortunately, that is also a self-help eviction, and you can't do that. So
1: don't open the fence and let their dog out either. So that's one. That's
0: right. That's that's right. So um, this is an area, particularly if you have a squatter. I think it's worth hiring an attorney simply because the potential exists for an expensive legal battle, and the squatters are going to have more attorneys than you can afford to hire. And last but not least, and as you and I agree that nobody cares as much about my property as I do, but in some situations... um, if I'm just not in that area, and you know, Margie and I are spending a substantial amount of time on St. Simons these days, I need somebody to keep an eye on a property. Don't be afraid to hire a property manager to help you find desirable tenants and make sure there are no squatters. Ian, I'm gonna let you wrap this up because we're just about out of time.
1: Well, John, I could just tell you that I love reading the landlord survival guide. I do learn. I was reading this week something to the point of uh, the best way to evict somebody is just don't let them move in. The, don't let them move in at all. And so if you do a good job of screening, um, you're really doing the best possible thing you can do is finding good tenants. And if you're doing it legally, um, you're, yeah, everybody needs a place to live but they don't necessarily have to live in your house. That's exactly right. I like the way you put that.
0: All right, folks, that's a 3 mark for the John Adams Radio Show. And on behalf of my evil twin and counterpart here, Ian Robbins, this is John Adams reminding you your financial future is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. Make your choice a good one. So long, everybody.